Hello everyone, this is Kevin Finkel here with our second episode of Magic The Final Frontier. On this podcast we discuss Frontier, the non-rotating format that plays cards from Magic 2015 onwards. Our hope with the podcast is to bring together regional Frontier lovers with one online source, keeping you all up to date on what is new, powerful, and interesting in the world of Frontier. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt Murday, our Frontier grinder from Toronto, Ontario, and our other host, Kevin Hanlon, uh, host of the Untap Open League, could not be joining us tonight. He's practicing with his band, the same band who recorded the lovely intro music that started our show. So instead, we have a very special guest, Matthew Hoffman, the same Matthew Hoffman, who put up the winning result at North America Champs. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. So uh, today's show, we're going to be taking a look at kind of the behind the scenes in Matt Murday's process preparing for this weekend's showdown at Toronto. Uh, he'll talk about the decks he expects to show up and the ones that he thinks are strong in the format, as well as what he's thinking about playing for the, uh, the weekend. Um, we're going to jump to that in a minute, but we also have this big treat for you, which is an interview with the North America Champs winner, Matthew Hoffman. Can you introduce yourself, Matt? Yeah, so I'm Matt Hoffman. I've been uh, playing Magic on and off since 94. I started with Revised. Um, came back full-time and really started going to Grand Prix and, and bigger tournaments with Dragons of Tarkir. Um, just really enjoy playing Magic. I use this as a good stress relief and break from work. Uh, love the game, and uh, Frontier was a, a really interesting way to take a break from all the other formats. Um, and just a really awesome experience to play. Great. So we got a chance to look into your deck last week when we were going over the top eight from the North America Champs. Can you tell us a little bit about the deck? Kind of just give it a quick introduction, why you chose it. So I was looking for a deck with a really good mana base. I wanted everything to come into play untapped for lands. Um, I wanted a very interactive deck. I thought, you know, the metagame was just really wide open. Um, And so that's really where I started is just a, a good mana base. And the best land in the format is Fire of Industry. It lets me tap for any color, uh, comes and play untapped, um, and really works well. And so once I had the land, then I'm looking at you know different vehicle bases, uh, Hangerback Walker, Walking Ballista, um, and came to vehicles as a, a really interesting choice, and mixed that with some of the best Abzan creatures uh, to build an overall interactive deck. That's interesting. So you really came to it through the artifacts rather than adding the artifacts in because you thought they were stronger. So do you think that uh, made your deck overall better than other Abzan aggros that you played, including in the finals? I did. So it seemed like my mana base was a lot more consistent. Um, I didn't have to worry about fetching into a tap land um, or trying to fetch the, you know, uh, using like a windswept teeth uh, to grab a a red-green duel and then maybe a bloodstained mire to grab black. So I was able to really focus down with just a, a single fetch land and be able to grab my key colors while having the rest of the mana base be really consistent. So that's something we can say to anyone who thinks that Frontier is just four-color good stuff. You can play any colors you want. It's Yeah, I mean, you can certainly play any colors, uh, but there's so many punishing effects uh, if you try to go big colors. And the biggest thing I saw, like my first-round opponent, was playing a five-color bring-to-light deck. And almost all of his fetches were for tap lands, and he was a full turn slower than I was. And so if, when he stumbled, I was able to get out to big leads all three games and close it out in two of those games. Oh, that's great. Do you have any other interesting stories from uh, matchups from that weekend? Um, the artifacts, Walking Ballista and Hangerback Walker, really overperformed. Um, it's amazing, especially Hangerback Walker was so good against the aggressive decks like Mono Red. And just having so many one-drops. I got Toolcraft Exemplar, which always, almost always attacks for three in this deck. 
along with the Warden of the First Tree and Thraven Inspector, uh, really allow me to get on the board very quickly, um, and then hold that advantage with some good removal and the artifacts to fly over uh, most of the decks that are focused on a ground game. Yeah, I, I'd love to know what you think about Hangerback Walker versus Scrap Heap Scrounger uh, in that list. Absolutely. So, in talking about the metagame, the biggest thing I was concerned about was Mono Red, uh, other Abzan decks, um, and then there were some other aggressive decks. You know, there was some Collected Company decks, um, whether it's Bank Company or Abzan Company. Um, and I also saw, just looking at the online list ahead of the tournament, uh, some other single-color decks like Mono White and Mono Black. And while Scrap Heap Scrounger is great, and I play it in Standard when I played Mardo Vehicles, it doesn't block. And so it's really bad against other aggressive decks. Uh, and I want to create everything in my deck to block and deal well on defense, uh, but also be able to turn the corner. And so Hangerback Walker was a way for me to get a creature on the ground, uh, build it up over a couple turns if it happens to live, and then when it ever dies, I get a whole bunch of flyers to be able to come over and, and finish the game over the top. So do you think this is a, a very strong deck right now in general? Is this something you continue to play moving forward? I would absolutely play this again. If there's uh, if I had a chance to come to Toronto and play in one of the showdowns again, uh, I would absolutely play this deck again. Uh, the only thing I changed is some of the sideboard cards, uh, but the main deck, I was I was really happy with the 60 I played. What were some of those sideboard cards you're looking at? Authority of the Councils um, was in there mainly because I was concerned about Sahili. Um, I didn't really see any... And there was some Sahili in the tournament, um, but I think it's too much. I already have, between all the Ballistas and all the other removal in the deck, um, it's probably not even needed. Um, and it's not something that's really impactful enough against the speed of the Atarka Red decks, uh, especially the ones that are combo-based with um, <clears throat> Become Immense and the Teamer Battle Rage. It's just not good against that type of deck. Okay, great. Well, I think that that's actually a good transition. We can move into the main part of our show today. We're going to be talking about what we really think the metagame looks like. So last week we got a chance to see a lot of top decks from Japan, from Toronto, and it painted us a decent picture, but we kind of want to go a little bit more in the generic, what we think right now the best decks in the format are, what all of the Tier 1 decks are. So these are the things you'll expect to see at competitive tournaments if you visit Toronto, things of that sort. Matt, if you want to lead us off, what, do you, what would you say... Is there a single tier one? Are there several tier one? Sorry, which, which Matt are you talking to? <laughs> Too many Matts. You can feel free to call me Hoffman. Well, let's, I'll, I'll, st- I'll start you guys off. Um, so I think Ataka Red is, is the easiest deck to play. Um, it's really simple to pilot, especially the non-combo versions. Um, and I expect you'll see a lot of that in any of the Frontier tournaments. Uh, I expect you'll see a lot of traditional Abzan as well. Um, and I think both of those decks can be attacked with a similar game plan. It's get a really good ground defense, uh, have a plan to go over the top in the air, um, and make sure your removal matches up well with their best or most serious threats. So why aren't you playing Artarka Red then yourself if you think it's one of these best decks? Then? I think it's the most popular deck. I don't think it's the best deck. I, I really feel that my deck won all three matches very cleanly. I lost only one game to Artarka Red on the weekend uh, there, and just it was a... Uh, while it's the most popular deck, it's very easy to fight against if you know what their big threats are, which is small, a lot of go-wide creatures, along with the always a threat of Become Immense and Teamer Battle Rage. All right, uh, Madam, do you have any insight on Atarka Red? I don't know that my experience has been it's the most popular deck. It's definitely a big one um, in the format. I think I've seen a lot more Abzan aggro, and I think just the kind of mid-rangey style 
um, of Abzan aggro tends to be a little more popular, just from from what I've seen. Definitely, you need a plan for a target red too, though, for sure. As far as the top tiers, what I really think of the format, I think we see Sahili right at the top, um, and I think the rest of T1 is basically shaped by decks that have game against Sahili. Um, and if you don't have game against Sahili, you're probably not a tier one deck. All right. So while we're talking on that. Um Last week we talked about we saw a couple of different Sahili lists. We saw one from Toronto, one from Japan, both in the top eight. But you didn't seem like either of those were the optimal Sahili list from what you were saying. What would you think that optimal list looks like? What else should we be looking out for in those decks? I think if you're looking for the optimal list, I think you have to look at Matt Cherkis's uh, four color Sahili list. Um, it's just really well rounded. Uh, it has it, it has a backup plan, which is part of what makes Sahili so strong. Um, because you basically can slam planeswalkers and just kind of grind out value um, while they're f- the enemy is forced to hold up a reaction to your combo or lose the game. So basically having um, having the kind of grind game backed up by Fumigate uh, keeps the deck at the top. So I, I don't think I, I want to see as much uh, Reflector Mage and kind of uh, enter the battlefield value plays or kind of... I don't want. I don't think you need. You should be all in on the combo. Is is basically what it really boils down to. And you're including in that the enter the battlefield triggers because those are shut down by Wingmate Rock. Um, sorry, not by Wingmate Rock. By uh, Hushwing Griff. Hushwing Griff. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> Easy mistake. Yeah. Um, and, and you know that's that is one weakness. Um, obviously, kind of backed up by the fact that uh, Felidar Guardian itself is shut down by Hushwing Griff. So it's just a good thing to board into you uh, anyway. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think that the game plan is kind of the grindy mid-range or even con- grindy control, and then you just support it with the combo, basically. The, the pressure of the combo keeps your enemy from really being able to build a board against you. So even more than the value creatures, you like a little bit of Counterspell, a little bit of Planeswalker, and run that control deck, and then that you, eventually you'll be able to win with the so I actually don't think I'm high on counter spells because it's mostly a tap out control. It's it's basically about again it's more about pressure, um, and being able to keep keep it difficult to attack into you with things like uh, Renegade Ralliers. Yeah, so Renegade Ralliers does a great job gumming up the board, and and generally just three power is a lot to be able to attack attack into without trading, and because Sahili doesn't really care about winning with its creatures it's happy to make that trade. Anytime it's trading this Renegade Rallyer for basically any of your creatures, uh, it's happy to do that. Um, So basically it just plays the long game and plans to just fumigate your board over and over again. And you you basically get to a point where you can't keep up versus the Planeswalker package and uh, basically infinite fumigate uh, on the back of Jace Friends Prodigy. So you like Jason there as well. Absolutely. But pretty much what you're saying is um, the Sahili decks, the Atarka Red decks, they're definitely common, they're definitely strong, and you think that anything else that we might consider Tier 1 probably has game against those decks? Yeah, so like personally I would consider Tier 1 to be uh, Sahili, Atarka Red, Abzan Aggro, Black Green Scales, Mono White Humans, and maybe Marvel. Uh, I'm not quite as sure... Uh, about Marvel being tier one, but it's uh, it's kind of like that boogeyman, right? Uh, it's definitely a scary deck, but Sahili might just have the matchup enough that that it's not quite there. That makes sense. So the one other one that definitely should be obvious here, we just had a, a top winning list from that is Abzan Aggro. 
So something I wanted to ask about this deck, um, when Abzan was in Standard, there was a tendency that the best deck against Abzan was just a slightly bigger version of Abzan. So you got more 4-drops, you started adding Wigmate Rock, Elspeth. I even saw decks that ran Ugin main deck and Abzan. Um, why aren't we really seeing that in Frontier? We seem to be moving downwards in the CMC instead of moving upwards. So I have an answer for this, but I'm, I'm curious if Hoffman has, a, has an answer. I think Vehicles completely changes the game. Um, between Smuggler's Copter is huge, and almost all the versions of Abzan are running that. Uh, so having a cheap flyer allows you to go over the top, um, and doesn't allow you to have a ground stall that you can then break with Elspeth or even Ugin. Uh, so it really changes the, the types of matchups that you can set up. Um, also, the Smuggler Copter with the filtering allows you to go through your deck so quickly that you can get to your, your bombs or the ways to break up um, whatever else your opponent is doing. Okay, so I actually have a different answer than that. Not that there's anything wrong with that answer. That's perfectly valid. But I think the reason we're not seeing decks slowing down to beat Abzan uh, mostly has to do with Sahili. Um, basically, you just you can't afford to go slow in a Sahili meta uh, because they're going to outgrind you in the long game. Uh, there's just no beating the the Planeswalker package and repeated Fumigates uh, in, in the long term. So you have to go under them. And in order to do that, you just have to be lean, right? You could maybe bring in uh, some cards out of the sideboard to slow down. And I think we see that in a lot of Abzan aggro packages, uh, in particularly, sorry, in particular with uh, Obnixilis. Uh, what's the name of that card? The Planeswalker card, not the creature. Reignited, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So so we do see a lot of Abzan aggro players bringing that in out of the board in the uh, mirror. So, so in a way, there is definitely some slowdown happening in the mirror, but there's only so many sideboard slots you can devote to the mirror matchup, right? And with the rest of the, uh, with the, rest of the meta just being so fast, there's not really a need to slow down. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, as long as you can compete with Sahili, uh, you don't need to slow down to beat other decks. You can go under them or go around them. Uh, I think that that's fine. Um, the big thing is to not be, you know, with the ta- you mentioned tap out control and things like that. As long as you're being really proactive um, and being defensive enough against the Sahili combo or other combos in the format, um, I think being proactive and really going after it is the, the best. Uh, choice in this uh, metagame. All right, well, I'll move us along to another uh, aggressive deck that you had already mentioned is Mono White Humans. You said that one. We didn't really see a list in the uh, top eights that we had looked at. Can you tell me a little bit about that deck? So Mono White Humans is a little bit underplayed, uh, just for its relative power level. Uh, The big thing is, and it kind of ties into what Hoffman was saying just now, is being proactive, and all of its answers to Sahili are proactive. Uh, so it basically has an A-plus matchup into both Sahili and Atarka Red for a lot of the same reasons. Um, Thalia, Heretic, Cathar shuts off the combo and is just really hard to attack into for Atarka Red. Uh, you also have things like... Um, sorry, I'm drawing a blank here. One sec. The Knight uh, of the White Orchid? Yeah, well, the Arch- Archangel of Ties, uh, you know, is a huge flyer that also shuts down the combo. Um, that was actually the biggest card I was worried about for the mono-white humans matchup. Absolutely, and it, it also shuts down a Tarka Red. So for our listeners, that's the uh, the angel from uh, Magic Origins, the 3-5 that forces the opponent to pay one for each attacking creature while it's untapped, or when it's attacking, in order to block, they also have to pay one. So against uh, the Sahili combo, they can't attack unless they have one to pay for each of their infinite cats, which obviously they shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah. Um, the 
Mono White does really well into most of the meta decks, um, with the exception of Green Black Scales, um, which just uh, big ballistas just shut Mono White humans right off. All right, do you want to talk about Green Black Scales a little bit? That's another one that I haven't seen as much of playing a little bit more online outside of the Toronto meta. It's definitely underplayed. Um, we have a little bit more of it in uh, Toronto, in large part thanks to Andrew Oyen, who really kind of pioneered the deck and brought it to, I think, several top eight fi- finishes. It's just like a really versatile deck. Um, with, And it gets to a point where it's just it's super inevitable. Because its creatures are just going to be so big, so fast, it can easily go from having, you know, 5, 6 power on the board to the next turn having 20, 30 power, uh, almost out of nowhere. Just big turns with um, Nissa. So Nissa from Voice of Zendikar. When I faced a green-black deck, um, that was one of the real concerns I had as well, because the creatures can get really big. Um, the green-black is really good at making large creatures. It's got blossoming defense potentially to keep everything protected. Uh, but it is susceptible to Fatal Push and other one-for-one removal uh, that can really knock out the big creatures. Uh, the other thing I didn't like about the green-black deck and why I didn't play it myself uh, is it has a lot of cards that don't do anything on their own. Um, you know, it's got the Hardened Scales itself. Um, it's got the, you know, the little creatures that pump everything. And even, even Nyssa uh, can make a lot of plants, but unless you have other creatures in play, it doesn't actually do anything. Uh, so it's very inconsistent. Uh, it also means it can potentially be a, a turn or two behind other decks if it doesn't have everything line up really well. So I haven't actually shared that experience. Um, yes, the deck can definitely falter against Grixis Control or General Control. Control is probably its worst matchup because, yes, it does have a couple of do-nothings in the deck in the form of scales. Um, so if, if you know its creatures are kind of being picked off one by one as they come out, it's definitely a lot less less potent. It, it's a synergy-driven deck that requires more of its pieces to be in play. Uh, but, you know, one or two fatal pushes probably isn't going to take it out of the game. Because it, it, its ability to go... It, honestly, it can go pretty wide, too. It, it's not going to be a Tarka Red or Mono White Humans, but it is not at all uncommon to see four or five creatures on the board, and all of a sudden, they can all be five fives, you know? So that's something you were sort of touching on with green-black scales and mono-white humans. They're both there. They've got great game against Tatarka Red. They've got proactive answers to Sahili in the, the creatures that enter tapped or the walking ballista. Are these decks that you think would be good in a broader meta if you don't know what you're going up against? Or are these kind of good in Toronto where you know the meta is going to be competitive? It's going to have these top decks. So I think the big thing... I think green-black scales has game against all the top decks. Uh, it is probably the singular reason we don't see uh, just guy flyers in Toronto. Uh, it shuts down mono white. It can. It has game against a Tarka red against Sahili. Uh, the big thing that keeps it out of online, I think, is the presence of control, which basically just doesn't exist uh, in Toronto, in large part because Sahili is really difficult to deal with. And Atarka Red is just a bit of a wild card. Yeah, Control can beat it uh, with some good board wipes, but just the raw speed of the deck just means sometimes you just lose to it, no matter like just and there's it kind of just plays out that way, you know. 
All right, well, if I can use that to transition, can we talk a little bit about Control? I think that when I've talked with you, when I've talked with Sky, we all kind of think that Grixis seems to be the best version of Control and Frontier, but does it really make it to Tier 1? Is it kind of Tier 2, Tier 1.5? Where would you put the deck? If Sahili weren't in the metagame, I think we would see Control at Tier 1. With Sahili in the metagame, I think it's just a lot harder to... uh, justify control I'm, I'm not even sure it makes it to high tier two to tell you the truth just because the things you need to do against the healy are so different than the things you need to do against the aggro lists and the mid-range lists right it's just like it's hard to beat all these different play styles all these different uh basically paths to victory at the same time you know you can easily just load up on fatal pushes grasp of darkness radiant flames and just go to town on the aggro list, right? But those things aren't necessarily going to be effective against the Healy, who really only cares if you remove your uh, if you remove their Felidar Guardian at one particular point. And truth be told, honestly doesn't mind that a lot of the time because it can just outgrind you in the late game. And that's probably not as good to have those fatal pushes and things against Renegade Rallier or their Planeswalker package, as you've been suggesting might be the best version of that deck. Exactly, yeah. Now, uh, Matt Hoffman, have you considered control as something you've seen much or as uh, something that you've prepared against? Um, actually, like some of the Grixis control lists, um, they're, you know, as you mentioned, they're, it's difficult to prepare against both the Tarka Red, Abzan, and Sihili. Uh, but the decks have so much raw power in the, the mid to late game. Um, and, you know, you got to, the question is like, what do you play Jace? Jace, Vren's Prodigy, is just amazing. Um, and if you can get it out there, protect it, um, it allows you to draw into whatever cards you need, filter out the dead removal. Um, and so I think the, the power is there in Grixis Control. I'm just not sure that the right mix of cards has been found yet. Um, but I think they're going to print so many new answers coming up in the next couple sets. Uh, that I think Grixis Control will continue to evolve and get better and better. I hope to see that, because I certainly enjoy flashing back a dig through time with my Torrential Gear Hulk and things like that. Um, You had mentioned one more deck earlier, the Aetherworks Marvel deck. That's something else that we didn't see in the Toronto Top 8, nor in the uh, Japan Top 8 list that we looked at. You kind of call it the Boogeyman. What should we be looking out for with Aetherworks Marvel, or is it really that big of a deck? So again, it, this is another yet another underplayed list, uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with it kind of has the same feel as uh, Sahili does, in that it's it's got kind of that inevitable late game, and if it gets to that late game, it's going to win. There's no real way around it. Uh, I think it has a lot less pressure than Sahili does. But on the other hand, it also feels more unfair both to play against and to play with. So it's it's less consistent. But the times when you win with it feel really unfair, or when you lose to it feel really unfair. So I think people shy away from it for that reason, especially given that Sahili does a lot of the same kind of inevitable, grindy uh, play style that Marvel does. Well, and they both kind of can just win on the spot. You know? And the things that are good against Marvel, are those the same things good against Sahili? Is there much that kind of overlaps, or does that further stretch the answers that we have to have to try and be competitive? Um, before I field that question, actually, it looked like uh, Hoffman had something to say. Yeah. So in, I'll just answer that question first. Is 
aggro decks are good against both. Uh, I think you can get under the Steely deck and you can get under Marvel. Uh, the biggest difference I see between the two decks is Marvel takes a lot more setup. Uh, you need a lot more, you know, kind of enablers, you know, whether it's the energy producers or even puzzle nuts. Um, you know, a lot of different creatures that can give you energy. Uh, but it's really hard to complete, you know, construct a Marvel deck without a lot of those enablers. Whereas the Sahili deck, all you really need is those eight slots, and you can build a lot of different versions of the deck, whether it's control or four-color good stuff, uh, that can give you a lot of game against the, the different decks. That's great. So did you have anything more to add to that, uh, Matt? I, I think, again, the one thing keeping that maybe is keeping Marvel from, like, the very top kind of kind of slot is against Sahili. I think Sahili is a little bit better at what it does. And I think because of the similarity of the two decks, that we end up seeing more Sahili. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. I had one more question, uh, just one more deck that uh, I know that Sky definitely wanted me to bring up, our other host, Kevin, who wasn't here. Um, Bent Humans. We saw one list of it. You didn't think it looked great. Do you think it can have the potential to be a tier one deck? Was it just uh, not the right build of it, or is there anything that we can do to make that a little better? I think the big thing keeping it out is is once again Sahili, because Bant Humans has a lot of the same playstyle and and elements that keep Mono White going. So the the only difference really is that it's a little bit slower, but it has the kind of mid range grind, uh, a, a little more of the mid range grind going for it. Unfortunately, in a Sahili meta, the the speed is really what's important. Uh, it's cool to you know have the massive tempo plays where you uh, Coco into Reflector Mage and Renegade Rallyer and maybe you know bring back a Thalia's Lieutenant. That's huge, right? Uh, but but the reality is that the top tier is so defined by Sahili that you know being a little bit worse into Sahili than say Mono White, it, it tends to not quite be as it's just not quite there, you know? It's 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 almost there. All right, so we can kind of call it a tier two deck maybe for right now? Yeah, I would say high tier two. It's definitely definitely a cut above uh, a lot of the other decks we see. It's just not quite in the tier one spot. Um, and another big part of that is actually that it doesn't match up super well into Abzan Aggro. Uh, primarily just because the raw card value on Abzan Aggro is just so much higher. And the Reflector Mage problem as well. You don't really want to be bouncing back uh, Siege Rhinos to somebody's hand. Yeah, yeah. You can you can kind of hope to outrace Abzan, but it's got such a quick clock. And, you know, even if you're, if you're you know, dropping your Cocos and all that stuff as your four drops, they're kind of going to match you with Gideon and Siege Rhino as is, right? Yeah, that's right. So why don't we take a second and kind of recap what we're thinking. Are there any other decks that you wanted to mention, either of you, that you think might be almost there, kind of tier two, tier one and a half? especially uh, our guest here, Matt Hoffman. I think there's a, a lot of other strategies that we can take from you know, modern right now. Um, so things like uh, you know, Death Shadow and other zoo decks, um, I think some of those actually will work well in modern. You know, the, the proactive, a lot of discard uh, into creatures. Now, discard's not nearly as good in Frontier, uh, but I think there's some unexplored strategies in that area that definitely have a lot of potential. It excites me that you say this because our next segment is going to talk about a brew I've been working on that has a lot of those uh, those elements in it. You also don't have to tell me twice to keep on brewing. I'll try that anyways. So uh, just before we move on, I wanted to recap. We're kind of saying Sahili, Abzan, Atarka Red, those are definitely the tier one. 
and uh, Matt Murday, you were including really that green black scales as well as mono white humans in that top list. Um, so ones yeah, that we were absolutely. considering kind of on the borderline, there's the Aetherworks Marvel, which is great combo, just maybe not as good as Sahili, as well as Grixis Control and Bant Humans. Those also seem like they could could get over that level to be good enough, but right now we're having trouble fighting against all of those top decks. I, I would also include uh, Jun Turbo Emrakul, and, and I don't know that I would include uh, Grixis Control is almost there. Uh, only, and it's weird for me to say this because I, I also said that without Sahili in the meta, it would definitely be a tier one deck. Uh, I just think the Sahili matchup is quite a bit worse, and uh, I don't see a way for Grixis Control to overcome that. So the deck you just mentioned there, Jund Turbo Emrakul, this is a deck that used to be popular before really the Sahili combo came out and started growing big, and that's playing cards like Seder Wayfinder, often Jace, um, just filling the graveyard with all of those enchantments, artifacts, everything, and getting it up to uh, getting it up just to an early Emrakul. Do you want to say anything more about that deck, or do you just think it's kind of the second or third best combo deck in the format, if we're counting Emrakul as a combo? Yeah, I think it's the second or third best uh, combo deck in the format. I think it has game against, again, all of the top tier decks, except for Sahili. I think Sahili really really uh, <laughs> beats its face in, honestly. All right, so uh, with that kind of wrapped up, looking at what you're going to play this Sunday, you're going to the showdown in Toronto... What did you think about playing? Are you going to play something that is from this list we just talked about, or just something that's meant to beat all of these lists? So the list I'm playing kind of touches on what Hoffman was saying about uh, kind of the lean, efficient creatures backed by lean, efficient removal and interaction. Uh, And if you guys want to look in the show notes here, I've actually given you a link, so we can take a look right at the list I'm going to play. Yeah, looking at it now, it looks like a a solid list. So for for the viewers at home... This is a pretty spicy Grixis thing in the ice list. Basically where I started with this list was I love thing in the ice. I think it's a super fun card and basically just seeing all of the aggro lists in this format and how little removal most of them are running because they just their their job is just to kill you super fast, right? They want to just blow you up and win the game. So you have a lot of them running honestly less than four uh, pieces of removal, right? You might have four Fatal Push or a couple Lightning Strikes. So basically seeing that, I thought it would be a great time for Thing in the Ice, which walls walls these aggro decks off early, blows the board back to their hands, and and just is a super fast clock. Uh, On the back of this, basically, at its heart, it's a control list. Uh, but it has these huge tempo swings to kind of win the game out of nowhere. To win out of nowhere, yeah, that makes some sense. Um, so some other cards you're playing here, I see you've got four of Strategic Planning. That's a card that started to really pick up popularity in Standard, and when I've seen it in Frontier, it's done really good things. That's the one, you look at the top three cards of your library, you'll put one in your hand and the rest in your graveyard. So is that just there to kind of enable your Jace, enable your Enigma Drakes? So that's two of it, uh, or two pieces of the puzzle. Um, Enigma Drake, Drake really is just a late game win condition because I don't think you want to be all in on Thing in the Ice. Uh, all in on Thing in the Ice tends to lead to disappointment. Uh, but basically, Enigma Drake is there so that in the late game, you have options that aren't Thing in the Ice. The big things that really tie this deck together uh, are strategic planning, aftermath cards, the kind of graveyard spell synergy uh, just between Enigma Drake and Thing in the Ice. 
So, sorry, I hadn't talked about your um, Aftermath cards yet, but you have four of Reduced to Rubble, which is the counter spell, counter target spell, unless its controller costs three, pays three for a blue and two colorless. That then turns into Rubble, the um, up to three target lands don't untap during their player's next untap step. So how good is the backside of that card? I have not seen that much. So it's really good here and, and probably kind of whatever elsewhere. Uh, the big part of this deck is that you get to use the backside of your aftermath cards for value with thing in the ice. So imagine you have a thing in the ice on the board and it has one counter, one ice counter left on it. And then you rubble their, all their land down. You flip it, bounce their board, and they can't do anything on their next turn to repopulate their board. It's, it's just a savage beating. It, it, it's, it's essentially like a, it's a, it's a way to control the tempo of the game. That's basically free because at the point that you're using a three mana counter spell, it, it's really rare that you're not that, that you're not countering something, right? Because they have to have three mana up to stop you from it. So you're not going to be countering, you know, their warden of the first tree with that. You're countering their Gideons. You're counting their siege rhinos. You're counting countering things kind of at tempo advantage. So that so that in order for them to be really beating your counter spell, they need like seven mana. So it, it's basically the same thing as any other three three mana counter spell in the format. It, it's effectively a hard counter spell in the situations that you want to be using a three mana counter spell. Yeah. So, so let me add to that. So reduces uh, is pretty interesting. Um, a card you see a lot in standard right now is Supreme Will, uh, which fits in the same slot. Uh, while also offering you know flexibility, uh, just like Reduce. Um, curious what your thoughts are about Supreme Will in a deck, and, and maybe running a, a split of those, um, or if it's worth doing something like that. So I think in most decks, you probably want Supreme Will over Reduce to Rubble. Uh, the thing that really makes this deck tick is being able to abuse the aftermath uh, in concert with Thing in the Ice. Uh, it's also really good to, uh, like, strategic planning, and you can dump... Uh, your reduced to rubble in the graveyard if you need to, you know. So it's just a free spell that basically that lets you control the tempo of the game, and it really sets up some really abusive situations with when you when you can use it to flip thing in the ice. Yeah, that makes sense. So the other question is, you have uh, the great card strategic planning, um, and you also have Jace to fuel your graveyard. I only see one delve spell. Uh, and that seems like with all your, you know, you're going to be filtering through your lands really quickly, um, filtering through card cards, and you even have Liliana that can put cards in the graveyard. Um, what are, why are you not playing things like uh, Dig Through Time or even Treasure Cruise? Uh, so the main reason for that is you want to have the late game win condition in your Enigma Drake. Uh, and secondly, it's for keeping options open. Uh, this is a deck that uses Graveyard a lot. Uh, between Jay's Friends Prodigy and all the uh, Aftermath cards I have. So we've talked a little bit about uh, Reduced to Rubble, but I'm also running Claim to Fame, uh, Cut to Ribbons. Is that it? I, I definitely wanted to get into that, because uh, if you know a little bit about me, Claim to Fame is one of the cards I've kind of really made my signature card in front here. So it's something I've been trying in a few versions. So I'm really excited to see this. Let's see what it can do. So Claim to Fame... For anyone who hasn't tested it, go out and try it. It's the sorcery for one black that uh, returns a creature from converted mana cost two or less from the graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, and then the backside for one and a red, also a sorcery. It gives a creature plus two plus zero in haste. 
So in your deck, you're kind of you're bringing back your Jace, your Thing in the Ice, your Burl, pretty much any of your creatures here. Yeah, Burl is honestly only in the deck so that I could have a few more claim to fame targets. Uh, he he works pretty well, uh, but but his main role when I first kind of put him in there was for claim to fame, and obviously the velocity. Uh, he's able to provide with Thing in the Ice and all these kind of low-curve uh, interactive spells really keeps the deck ticking. No, that makes sense. And you got six counter spells, so the ability to, to draw some extra cards uh, is great with Brawl as well. Absolutely. Uh, one of the cool things with Claim to Fame is, again, just kind of use being able to use Fame to flip Thing in the Ice or, you know, you drop a late-game Enigma Drake and then Fame it and you 16 them out of nowhere, you know? It's... It's just such a versatile card, and, and this deck has so many ways to manipulate its hand and the graveyard that that just having all those options available really makes it kind of all come together, basically. Um, unfortunately, having all those options does make it really difficult to play. There's a lot of lines, and I, I don't always see them uh, before it's too late. No, this deck, this deck looks like a lot of fun. Um, Claim to Fame is, is definitely a highlight. Uh, the one thing I really love is being able to play uh, Fame on Jace, bring it back from the graveyard and give it haste and flip it immediately, and then immediately be able to flash back another spell. Absolutely. Um, you can do all that with only three mana plus whatever you need for the other spell. Sounds really powerful. The, the kind of weak spots for this deck are like a so-so a matchup into Abzan Aggro. Uh, and... It does really well against all the other meta decks, but it has a few soft points against some of the like high tier two decks. So those things like the mono white humans or the green black scales. Yeah, th- those decks are really kind of they tend to be easier because they run a lot less interaction. And if I flip my thing in the ice versus them, they lose. Uh, yeah, they're kind of also really weak to just control strategies in general. And this is mostly a control list. Uh, it, it looks a bit like a kind of mid-range or even aggro list running 21 land. Uh, but the reality is that something like, what is it, 18 instants and 7 sorceries, and most of them are just really lean, efficient interaction. What, what about having more sweepers? So I see Radiant Flames and the ex- Yeheni's Expertise to deal 3 damage, or essentially 3 damage to a lot of creatures. Um, is there any sweepers that are worth running main deck? Uh, maybe even Sweltering Suns or Languish uh, that can help take care of uh, a lot of go-wide decks. So <clears throat> Sweltering Suns is probably too rough on the mana. Uh, Languish I don't want mostly because it kills my Thing in the Ice. Uh, speaking of which, the nice thing about Thing in the Ice is it's a pseudo board wipe on its own. Uh, obviously there are matchups where I want to bring in the Radiant Flames and the Henny's Expertise, Uh but main deck, I feel like it's, it's really hard to make a cut. You know, what do you cut for that? Are you looking at cutting Fatal Push, Colligon's Command, Lightning Strike? These are all just kind of lean, efficient removal spells to begin with. And as much as, yeah, it'd be great to have a Radiant Flames into a Tarka Red, there's a lot of other considerations and other things I need to worry about in the metagame, right? So, for example, Radiant Flames and Yeheni's Expertise aren't going to do much into Black Green Scales. They're usually just too big. Uh, Abzan Aggro, yeah, I mean, sometimes. Uh, but they also, the problem creatures in Abzan Aggro aren't their, you know, three toughness creatures. 
that those aren't the, the reasons I'm going to lose to Abzan Aggro. It's it's the Anafenses and the Seedrinos and the Gideons that are going to get me. All right, that makes sense. If you don't mind, I'm going to run through your sideboard real quick here and see if there's any other cards we wanted to discuss there. I see two Disdainful Stroke, three Fevered Visions, two Kalidus Trader of Get, two Liliana the Last Hope, uh, in addition to the one that was main deck, two Painful Truths, two Radiant Flames, and two Yehenny's Expertise. So the big standout there are the Fevered Visions. Those are a powerful card. Um, does that really give you game against anything that's more controlling than you, anything that's slower? Yeah, basically if I sink a Fevered Visions against a control list, I win the game. They, they just can't deal with it. Um, and then again, you were saying the sweepers come in against those smaller decks, the ones that are really going wide against you, the Atarka Reds of the format. Um, what about yeah. Kalidus and Liliana? Is there a specific place where those would come in? Um, those tend to come in against aggro decks uh, as well, especially looking at Mono White Humans and Atarka Red. All right, Matt, that's been uh, really great. Matt uh, Hoffman, do you have anything to add? Otherwise, I'm going to uh, move us on to our last section of the day. No, just real quick. I think uh, Ultimate Price is probably another card I'd consider. Uh, good against the Sealy Combo and some of the monocolor decks. Uh, but otherwise, it looks like a solid sideboard. All right, so that was the Thing in the Ice deck that uh, Matt Murday is going to be playing this Sunday at the Toronto Showdown. Um, we wish him luck and hope to hear some good results from it. We'll uh, see how that turns out, hopefully in another podcast or two. So uh, getting us back on the track for the day, uh, we really have one more section that we wanted to do. So uh, what this section is going to be is that each week, just for fun, we want to have a Dark Horse card to discuss. So this is a powerful or an, it's an interesting card that just hasn't really found a home in Frontier yet. Maybe it's something that's already good in Standard or Modern, or just it seems so powerful, but why isn't it seeing any play? So the, uh, the one that I've picked for this week, it's made a big splash when it was announced. It had an immediate EDH staple, and people are looking at it for legacy decks. But despite that, it never saw any standard play as its little 2-3 body. I'm talking about Run-Em-Up Excavator, the Magus of Crucible of the World. Um, for those who don't know, this is for one green and two colorless. Um, it comes down as a 2-3. Uh, it lets you play lands from your graveyard as if they were in your hand. So this lets you get back your fetch lands, get back any maybe the deserts that you've discarded. What do you think about this card, and is there any reason we haven't seen it in Frontier yet? So the card is really interesting. Um, for me, I, I actually considered it even for my Abzan deck, um, you know, trying to put it in there in the future, because uh, it allows you to replay the fetch lands, which is really powerful and means you never miss a land drop late in the game. The issue is I think there's no utility land like Ghost Quarter. If there was anything like that in the format, this would create a, a hard lock with that um, and really help take over uh, against control decks. So I gotta say, I'm really glad there's not a Ghost Quarter in this format. It feels like it'd be super miserable to play against. Um, I think the big problem with this card so far is that I see it and I'm kind of pulled towards uh, this tireless tracker, renegade rallier, sylvan advocate setup. Um, where you kind of just have all this value from lands hitting the board, and, and you can kind of ramp with the Renegade Rallier, which, which makes me think Coco, right? Uh, but I just think it's not quite... Like, you really want more payoff than those three cards provide right now. And, you know, I look at it, and the kind of payoff I'm looking for is Gitrog Monster, which is a five drop for one, so really hard to justify in Frontier. And for two, doesn't really work well with the kind of Coco strategy the other three cards pull me towards. Or four cards, sorry. So you can build value, build value, but this never really gets anywhere. There's no, uh, there isn't really a room with the aggro and Sahili 
list that we were just talking about for a deck that's just mid-range good stuff like this? Yeah, and I mean, I think we're probably just a little ways off of actually having enough mid-range good stuff in this theme. I think we need a couple more good landfall creatures that, that kind of fit that niche. Yeah, I think the problem is you're playing a 2-3 three for 3. So you have to have a huge payoff to make it worthwhile. Um, you know, even a, a Tectonic Edge or Blighted Fen, some kind of solid utility land. Uh, but it has to be better than that. It has to be a really solid payoff uh, that you're going to be able to take over a game with uh, once you get to turn 6 or 7. So even the desert lands that you think from this last, uh, from Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation, the, some of those had sacrifice abilities, but they still usually cost 3 or 4 as well as tapping the land. You don't think that those could be strong enough? They're certainly strong enough. Uh, they're just not synergistic enough. Um, so I think, you know, running up ruins um, is a great card, and you're certainly going to win a lot of games in standard with it. Uh, but it's in a dedicated list that's going to get your opponent to, to 2 or 4 uh, very quickly. And then the deserts can close them out. Um, I don't see any utility lands in standard right now uh, that give you a big impact unless you're already winning the game. And I think another part of that is just you lose a lot of tempo paying those kind of mana costs. It's just, it's a lot of mana to just want to recur every turn, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So if we ever see Ghost Quarter or Tech Edge, uh, those, you know, without having a big mana investment can have a big impact. Uh, This card will see a lot of play. Um, But until we see something like that, um, I'm a little skeptical of the card. All right, well, we'll be looking out for the uh, Tectonic Edge reprint in Exelon. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but anyways, I'm going to move us to wrapping up, um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about current events in the Frontier world that might be coming up. Um, online, we don't have our um, our Untap Open League expert on right now, but the uh, the finals of that tournament is going to be going on this week. We've got a Mardu Vehicles match versus a Mardu, Mardu Midrange. Um, we also, of course, have Exelon coming out. We've been seeing some great spoilers, been talking within ourselves about what's going to be good in Frontier, what's going to have a big effect on the format. I expect that our next podcast you hear from us is going to be 100% about Exelon. So we're going to try and cover all the cards that might make a splash, anything that might be in a small strategy, or anything that's going to be a full new strategy on its own. So if there's any cards you've seen coming out of Exelon and you're thinking, oh, I've got a Frontier deck for that, reach out to us. Contact us on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We've got our, um, our Reddit. Those are all be in our, po- in our uh, podcast notes, and uh, we'd love to hear what you think, and we'll try and mention it on the air if you've got them. We've got a Discord as well. We've mentioned it a few times, but if you're looking for big events in Frontier, there's the Toronto event this weekend. Um, this podcast will be out before you actually get a chance to go to it, but we'll try and keep you up to task with any uh, new events that are coming out. But yeah, I want to one more time thank Matthew for joining us on a short notice, and I want to congratulate you on the big win in Toronto. It's right, been thank uh, you everyone. Had a great time, and uh, going to keep trying to get Frontier uh, in Rochester, New York. It's not far from Toronto, and I'll let you know if I get any events. All right, wonderful. And that's, I think, all the time we have for this week. Um, Matt, do you have anything else you wanted to say? No, just uh, thank you. Um, the Frontier Showdown Championship was just an awesome event. I uh, want well, you know give a that shout out to everybody who helped run that event. I think it was it was really well run and a lot of fun. Um, and Frontier is just a great format. Uh, it's wide open. It's really interactive games, and it's just a lot of fun. Uh, I just wish there were more events. So keep looking out for those. Well, thank you everyone for listening, and thank you to all of our um, producers that are helping us make this podcast a possibility. We look forward to being your go-to source for Frontier information online. Your final Frontier. Signing off. Mm-hmm.